What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. So I am super stoked about today's episode, and you better start getting excited. I'll uh, tell you why. I've got an incredible guest. Her name is Dr. Sharon Grossman. If you don't know who this gal is, look, you better just catch up, all right, because she is a psychologist. She is an author. She wrote the book, The 7E Solution to Burnout, Transforming High Achievers from Exhausted to Extraordinary. She has got a dope new webinar out that's available right now at drsharongrossman.com, so be sure to check that out. I'm going to make sure I remind you at the end, too. Um, but just an awesome person, right? She is She's what I call a mindset ninja, right? I, I like to kin myself to that as well, but she is just all about mindset and resiliency and you know, getting over overwhelm and burnout and just how to live your life optimally and get the most out of your life and your career and all those things, um, stuff that we talk about. On the show all the time that we talk about today in our conversation is you know stuff like catastrophizing but we go into that a little bit so you guys are going to get a ton out of this i hope i hope you enjoy it also don't forget to head over to drsharongrossman.com to check out her webinar and without any further ado here is my special guest dr sharon grossman five four three two one zero all engine running liftoff we have a liftoff And here we go. I am with the incredible Dr. Sharon Grossman. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. You know, you should be used to that. People saying incredible should not get that big of a smile from your face. <laughs> You'd be surprised. People don't usually introduce me that way. So okay, well, this this one person, Sharon's on the show. Everybody, uh, how are you doing? You doing good? I'm doing great. I how are am. You? I am stoked. I've been looking forward to this interview for a hot minute now, and I'm very excited to have you on. Just going through your stuff, <clears throat> you've been at this for over a decade of helping people, and there's a ton that we could get into, but just a little pre-conversation. Uh, and I think it's the world is primed for this topic right now. Uh, there's just a lot of things that cause it. Let's get into some anxiety stuff. You, I've never heard someone say, let's get into anxiety, that chipper. Let's job, go, Travis. let's roll up our sleeves and go right <laughs> let's in. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, you know, like we, obviously the world's, a, it's upside down right now in a, a lot of ways. And it's a lot to compartmentalize. And I think that's probably a lot of causation for new anxieties for folks. What is your take? Well, I have to say, people have always had anxiety, but since the start of COVID, I have seen anxiety really skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And if you really think about why that is, anxiety is about the future and we get anxious when we can't predict what's coming, when there's uncertainty, because people want to have something that they can ground themselves into. And when they don't know what's coming, they start, their mind starts to make up all kinds of stuff, right? right? And we tend to believe our thoughts. We tend to believe whatever pops up. So then it comes up with all the things that could go wrong. And that's when people are freaking out and having all this anxiety. And because with COVID so much has been about change, about doing things in a new way, about losing what you knew before and having to figure out the new thing, there's been a lot of anxiety for people. I think, you know, I want to, something you said about how that that mindset kind of takes hold <clears throat> something that I've talked about before, something I know you're an expert on is like 
the human brain is kind of hardwired to look for that worst case scenario, right? I think the example I like to go back to is it's what kept us from getting our arms torn off by Gigantopithecus, right? Absolutely. But it's just that old DNA. And so you have to be very intentional about avoiding that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I teach people when it comes to anxiety is how to continue the story. So what happens is when we catastrophize is we say, oh my God, what if X happens? Right. And then, and then that's where the story ends. Right, exactly. And so there's this like cliffhanger and you're just like, well, what am I going to do? And what if this really happens? And then I'm going to be screwed. You know, like I'll give you an example. I was working with a client and he's been working, he's got great job security. He's been working at his place of work for over a decade right. and very successful, but still has this intense anxiety about losing his job, right? And it's not because he got bad feedback, like all his managers, everybody's always given him like excellent feedback. And I've, by the way, I've seen this with a lot of people, right? Sure. Where it doesn't really, it's not based on the fact, it's not based on reality, it's not based on any experience that they're having in the workplace, it's their own mind kind of manufacturing this, because there's this deep fear that I will just be lost, that I won't know what to do, that I'll be back to this place of, you know, total, like, freak out, where, you know, his worst fear was, I'm going to be homeless, panhandling with my children on the right. street corner and it's like really like if you lost your job you're going to be homeless and panhandling is that and now really this year it's homeless panhandling with his children on the street corner in the middle of a pandemic so even worse yeah and and not to mention the guy's got over a million dollars in like cushion right <laughs> right like there's all these things that you're like this doesn't make sense and he understands that on a rational level but that fear is so real, right? And so what, one of the things I had him do was go on this exercise where he continues the story, right? So it's like, don't just ask yourself, well, what happens if I lose my job? Then I'm going to be homeless. Right. But like, then what? What are you going to do if, you, if that really happens? And then it literally, I have to tell you, it took him maybe 15 seconds to figure it out. See, I think that's an amazing approach. And because, you know, like I'm guilty of that same sort of mindset in a lot of ways. Like I will, doesn't matter what level of success I hit, even when I was in the military, it didn't matter where I was at. Like I would always freak out that tomorrow I might not be good enough. Tomorrow it's, it's over, you know, and I lose everything. And the reason I love your approach so much is I know where that manifests from. Like I know if I go deep, deep, deep into childhood stuff, like, okay, that's where that came from. Exactly. And the reason this approach is so powerful is you can't change any of that. And so there's no reason if you can identify a cool story. Now, how do you move through it? That's why right. I think it's amazing. Yeah, we're not focusing here on increasing insight into your childhood and all the things. I mean, right. that's, that's interesting. But, <laughs> you know, and he kind of he kind of was like, yeah, I was raised and like, my parents didn't really have any money. And they were always spending it to like, you know, keep up with the Joneses, right. but they never really had, you know, so we, on the outside, it looked like we had money, but on the inside, so he made his whole life to be the opposite where he's got all this money and he's not living this life of luxury. He's like trying to keep 
a real kind of cap on it. Right. Instead, you build the cushion and build the cushion and build the cushion. But that fear just doesn't leave you, right? No, it's just so, they're stuck. And so what's interesting is he's doing this exercise and I basically just asked him the question, like, what happens next? See it in your mind's eye. And I tell you, it took him 15 seconds to figure out <laughs> that he would probably have about seven different people that he could call that would right. give him another job. And so I think that's what's interesting about it too. A lot of a lot of folks, when they're teaching about how to deal with that catastrophizing mindset, they always tend to, instead of saying, let's deal with it and push through it, it's always a focal shift. And I've used the same thing, you know, when I teach about catastrophizing and resiliency and whatnot, like, okay, let's set some parameters for it. But your approach is, yeah, we get it. That That is a possibility. You know, the worst case scenario could happen. How do you move past it? Right. I think, I think the issue is we're not asking the right questions. Okay. Right. And so notice, like once I asked him the question, he was able to problem solve very, very quickly. He wasn't asking that question. He was asking, oh my God, what if I lose my job? Right. Oh my God, what if I lose my job? Oh my God, what if I lose my job? And it's like, how many times can you ask the same question? <laughs> right. You're going to constantly come back to that same place where you're on that corner panhandling, but ask a different question. Right, exactly. And so right. when when doing that, like, you know, this guy took 15 seconds. Do you see as a general rule that that, that approach to it is, is a better way than going, you know, hunt the good stuff, which is always the, the knee-jerk response. Like, what's still good in your life instead of trying to, because what you're doing is you're trying to push them through where the story ends to, okay, cool. Now let's make a plan for how to improve it. Right, well, what I'm trying to do is, let them finish. They've already started this movie. Let's finish that movie. Then we can come back and say, how likely is it that you're going to be in that movie? Right. And then they're like, oh, it's really, really, really unlikely. Really unlikely. Right? And it's like, okay, but that's your worst fear. So at least you know what you would do should that happen. And now the question is, if you, if you can figure that out, couldn't you figure out anything that's like easier than that? Yes, you can. If you figure out your absolute worst case right. scenario, you can handle anything else. And I think too, like the other thing it does is it, it really does. If you get to that point where you think it's the worst case scenario, that's good because it stops you depending on what type of catastrophizing you do from taking it any further, you know, like I, I myself am guilty of what I call downward spiral. So it's like, this this instigating thing happens and the next thing you know like it could be i'm late delivering girl scout cookies and the next thing you know like there's probably going to be a plane in indochina that crashes and it's because of this you know what exactly. i mean exactly you're speaking the language of like basically all of my clients but i like think it's because it's a, a norm i think people throughout you know the world probably have that same mindset because of that old dna we've already talked about and just they don't have the tools to identify and push through it. And that's something that you're empowering people to do. Yeah. And I do love and appreciate the fact that one of the things that you do is really work with people and building a resilient mindset because that's what's needed, right? We need to be able to turn this, if that's really in your DNA. And, and I've found that there are people who are a little bit more anxiety prone than others. Right. So definitely if that's you and I'm talking to the listeners, um, you want to have those questions at the ready. You want to have 
those exercises ready so that you can kind of think in a new way. You have to really train yourself to look at things differently, to stop taking any thought that pops up in your mind as gospel and really start to have more control over your mind and what you believe and how you let things from the outside really come in and influence you. And that's the other thing too, like what you're saying with, you know, those thoughts that come into your mind and, and to the intentionality behind it, like everything to do with resiliency. I wish it was an innate thing that everyone was just born with, but none of us are. The reality is like, it is a skill that you have to practice. You know, I always, I, I always go back to things that I can reference really easily. So like land navigation, if I quit like reading maps and shooting azimuths using the map, I'll forget how to do that. And it's the same with all this stuff we're talking about. If you don't intentionally practice these skills, they're not going to do you any good. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if we're going to go with the 80-20 rule, probably 20% is biology and probably 80% is psychology. And you absolutely have to work on yourself. You have to figure out how to, um, again, be in the driver's seat. You know, and, and when we talk about this biology piece too, I think some people are born with more and some people are born with less of that sure. resilience, but the psychology piece can be developed no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's, just, you know, it's what you're saying. It's a situational mindset. You know, the reality is all these problem sets are going to hit individuals differently. But the one thing we do have control over is how we intentionally respond to that problem set. That is the biggest thing you have in your life. That self-control, that self-mastery, it all comes from there. It comes from the ability to go through that mind clutter and figure out what's serving me, what is actually accurate, what is helpful, what is likely. If you're asking the right questions, you're going to be in a much more resilient place for sure. Well, and you know, it's just to your point, it, it prevents you from getting stuck there because everyone likes to get stuck, like you're saying, at the end of that movie, and now there's no forward progress. You know, even if, even if you had quantifiable evidence that tomorrow you're going to lose your job, catastrophizing on that isn't going to help you tomorrow. Not going to help you get that next job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I know in, in your career, you've spent a lot of time, I mean, being one yourself, I, I you know, on your website, you talk about you self-identified a lot of these things kind of creeping into your world which made you really realize it was a problem. You spend a lot of time with high-performing executives and lawyers and doctors and people in, in what seems like rewarding, but very high stress work. How often, you know, cause your book is all about burnout and I know we're talking anxiety, but I think that's a key thing that is it's going to start you down the road to burnout. Like what, if you could box up the, the warning signs that you saw in yourself and that you've seen in your client base that goes, uh Oh, we're, we're cat- we're going towards burnout. What does that look like? Well, first, I'd like to start by just defining burnout so yes. that we're all on the same page. So the way I think about it is burnout is when you have chronic stress that has accumulated in you, and it's like over time it becomes layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, right? And it gets to the point where you just feel exhausted mentally right and and you know the difference between like regular exhaustion and mental exhaustion when you unplug from work and you've got energy right right. for other things 
you're like, oh yeah, I have total energy to like hang out with my friends or to whatever, right? Like if you can unplug from work and have energy in another area, that's a sign, right? Because it's, right. it's area specific. Um, so you see that happen. Uh, people become really cynical. Their attitude towards work completely shifts and then their productivity goes down. They become less effective. Um, it's just so much harder from that negative place of like feeling drained and feeling cynical to be able to produce what you would otherwise produce. Right. So we're seeing these are the like the main signs. Um, the things that I think bring about um, burnout for people the most, even though like the emphasis often is on external factors. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. I, I think so much of it is our mindset, just like we were just talking about in the same way that, you know, if you're the kind of person who has anxiety and it's because you go through these exercises of catastrophizing and constantly worrying about worst case scenario and um, being filled with fear and having all this negativity on your mind all the time, that's going to take a toll on you. 100%. And if you're in that, if you're in that negative spiral, if you're like ruminating and you're having that, like you're in that loop where you're having the same thought over and over and over again, and now you're having it in all these different areas. And like, it's, it gets to the point where it's so hard. And I'm not just talking about like your job, but like everything that your brain processes, if you're in that place where everything becomes this negative thing, it's very hard to feel energized from that. Oh, for sure. And you know, I think, I think a lot of times, particularly in today's age, people equate that feeling with, oh, well, that's just the grind, right? They see hashtag grind on stuff and they think, oh, well, the rock does it. Yeah. First of all, that's a false narrative. Let's just get that out of the way. And number two, like if you just, just brush this off, like it's no big deal. The, the truth of it is, you know, we're talking about internal stuff, but it has a negative physiological effect on you. Like this can make you sick. It can make Absolutely. you die early, you know? Oh yeah. That's basically stress, right? That's what right. we talk about when we talk about stress. And, um, and like I was saying, burnout is this like accumulation of stress. And if we we're going to back up even more, I would say stress is really about your perception of things that are going on around you. And so if you're perceiving everything around you as being too much, I can't handle it. It's, it, it becomes overwhelming. Right. And so we, if we start to feel like that all the time, that's where you get to burnout. Right. And that can happen because of the things that are going on around you where you're perceiving it in that way that you're incapable of dealing with it um, because it's too much. But it can also be because of your own internal insecurities that lead you to engage with your work in a way that brings out burnout. Right. Right. And what we see is typically people try to overcompensate for their insecurities. And so they're pushing really hard. They are uh, trying to do everything perfectly, or they are trying to prove something to somebody right. about themselves. Um, there's that constant internal insecurity that leads to that push that then when you push too hard, you just run out of juice. And that's right. the burnout. It's kind of like running on a treadmill. You know, when you run on a treadmill, you can really focus on your form and really focus on your breathing and really focus on your posture. And you are running perfectly you are going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think, I think there's, you know, we're talking about resilience, we're talking about anxiety, all these things kind of tie in together, because um, if, 
you know, if, if burnout is a result of stress, stress is a result of your perception. Right. It all comes back to your mind. Right. And I know and that's something that, that you talk about a lot is mindset. That's one of the big ones is like this mindset shift. That's like everything in life, honestly. <laughs> I do not disagree down, at all. If you kind of boil it down to like the one thing that leads to success or failure, that's it. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've like, even colleagues that I've worked around and, and uh, been in groups with and whatnot. The one thing that makes a difference between the people who are most successful and the people that are stagnant is mindset. People right. have all kinds of, you know, if, if you lack confidence, if, uh, which is a big one that I see, like people have this imposter syndrome. Yep. So, <laughs> right. So it's like, and honestly, and it's not, and if you've never heard of the, of the term imposter syndrome, it's basically when no matter how good you are at something, whatever your craft is, you always worry about being found out. It's like feeling like you're a fraud um, and that people are going to discover about that about you. <laughs> and so you're constantly living in this fear. And I've had clients who I can't tell you how long they've been doing the work that they've been doing. I mean, that's always kind of the common thread. It doesn't change anything. I could be doing the same work for 10 years and I could get all the accolades and all the things but every day it's like, what if tomorrow they'll find out? Right. Now, do you, you know, think, actually, how linked do you think imposter syndrome is to something that is awful to do in life? I think comparison. I think it happens. Yeah. It's definitely baked in there. Right. For sure. Right. right? Because, right. Because the reason somebody would feel insecure is because they're comparing themselves to everybody else and everybody's better than me. It's like You're every like, basketball player ever after Michael Jordan, right? Oh my God. Totally. <laughs> it's like, how do you live in that shadow, right? Exactly. You have to just learn to be number two. Like you right. have to be okay with that. Right. That's right. I LeBron. don't have to be That's number one, right? right? But like, look at all these guys who have built careers. I mean, to go with your basketball analogy, they've built amazing careers and made gazillions of dollars, right? And right. they're not Michael Jordan but they're still really good and they're super successful. Right. It's like, why can't that be good enough? I mean, can you imagine if tomorrow the NBA just imploded because they're like, well, we'll never be as good as Jordan. And they just tapped out on life. Yeah. I mean, like that's, what's the point? Right. We're going to have to put our own name on our own shoes now. And no one wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to want Sharon Grossman's shoes. <laughs> Nobody's rocking Travis Crutcher's. <laughs> It's just my name on the side of Chuck Although Taylor's. Although it does have a ring to it, I have to right? say. Yeah. <laughs> so comparison's a bad thing. And so the mindset shift, how I've got, so I want to talk about this. This is totally, we had no pre-conversation about this. So this is a curveball, but I want to do it because I think it's fun. Um, so when you're getting ready to do something and some of those like creepy comparison things come in or just when you've got to get that laser focus back to execute, like I told you, you caught me in mine, right? When we started, like I, I've been doing the same thing to get myself dialed in for whatever task it is from going on patrols to getting on a stage to give a talk, like everything in between. What is it that you do if you in the second, like it's time to switch my mindset? So I'm about to go do something and I need to get in the zone and not compare right. myself. The whole the world is, it's a terrible day. It's the worst day ever. 
and you know you stubbed your toe which led you to all the other catastrophizing thoughts but now it's time to perform as optimally as you possibly can oh what do yeah you, what do you do you got to clear the clutter oh my god i just had a day like that <laughs> last last friday i think it was and you know normally i'm in pretty good shape i have to say like i i don't really deal with a lot of these kinds of days right so most like 99% of the time you'll ask me, I'm, I'm doing really great. Last Friday, I really felt overwhelmed. And like I say, that does not happen a lot, but I had just, I don't know. I, I, I'm like going through all these things in my business and I started to like tap into other people's stuff and like opted into a whole bunch of stuff. And now it's like, emails up the wazoo and it's not just read the email and delete it like there's the link and you got to go read the book or you watch the video and it's all all this stuff i'm just like not used to having that many emails that are so out of control right i i literally like go through all the things that come in and i get rid of them and i'm like pretty organized but when it was like accumulating so quickly that i didn't have the time to go through the stuff and it was like there's no way i can do all this today right it was just like, OMG, like I, right. like my brain's exploding right now. And I don't know. Right. And so I was like, I can't, I, you know, I woke up with that. I was like, right off the bat in the morning, I was just feeling that. And I'm like, I've got to clear the clutter. Right. Cause I mean, I got the rest of my day. I got clients I got to work with. I got all this stuff lined up and I'm just feeling scattered and overwhelmed. So I have to tell you, I was just like prioritize meditation. That's it. You got to sit down quietly and, and, you know, and I, I do meditate every morning, but it was tough on Friday, right? It was really tough. I was just like, stay present, stay present, stay focused. Like, you know, bring yourself back. Like it was hard. It was like all this hard work of constantly pulling myself back, pulling myself back. And usually it's not as laborious, but it was you, I was feeling it. And I would say, what would be helpful? We're talking about resilience again. Um, if you have a practice, it's so much easier to bounce back. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So like I have that practice. So a, I don't have as many of those days and B when I do have that day, I can bounce back a lot faster. So it wasn't a perfect day. You know, I have to say like, I definitely had like some ups and downs that day, but it wasn't a total catastrophe. And I think the reason I bring it up and wanted to talk about is because I think that's you knew what you had to do you had that that magic tool in your toolbox that you knew you know what this will get it and I think when we do that and we have that and are intentional about identifying what that thing is like for me it's silly and I've talked about it before but I've been doing it for a very long time so like there's a song called top of the morning to you by house of pain off their very first album and it's old and it's silly but for whatever reason I can listen to that and it's like, okay, I'm back. And I do that before anything. And it, it's having that tool because you know, when you get done doing your meditation, when I get in the zone, listen to that song, like I'm, I'm who I'm supposed to be again. Yeah. And maybe like you said, it won't be a perfect day, but I can still execute at an optimal level because I know what it takes to bring me back. Yeah. So back to your point, I would say there's, this is, and this is something that I teach my clients is you got to develop two different toolboxes, right? One is crisis intervention. So that was me. That was me doing meditation in that moment. 
and I, and doesn't mean that meditation is like the only thing that's going to reset you. Like for you, it's a song and for somebody else, it's taking a walk. And for somebody else, it's something else. Exactly. But whatever it is for you, you got to have that toolbox like developed and ready to go. The other toolbox is like where we're talking about resilience and building up habits that are going to serve you kind of not to kind of reduce the overall crises, not right. in the moments, but overall. And, and that's where usually I would put meditation in that other box because usually we're not meditating when we're in the crisis mode, we're meditating right. to just train our brain to have less crises. Right. And it's, it's kind of the difference between, you know, emergency medicine and long-term care. Exactly. Like you go to the emergency room off the album Shamrocks and Shenanigans, and then later on you start, okay, how did I get there? What were the the stressors that put me in that catastrophizing mindset? What was it? And then that's when you can start doing the overarching point of like identifying the things and how I receive them and start shifting that mindset intentionally. Right. Yeah. So I... I think it's a natural lead in and it's another thing that you talk about. So we're talking about being resilient. We're talking about shifting your mindset to avoid the stressors that cause burnout. Um, and we've talked about some comparison. I, the other thing that I try and talk to folks about, and I know you do as well, and it, it's a twofold argument is perfectionism. <laughs> and so I yeah. think right off the top, we need to remind folks, all these things are skills. And so if you think tomorrow you're going to be like, I'm going to shift my mindset and it's going to be gravy, you're probably wrong. Well, because these things are so deeply ingrained and they're ingrained because they stem from a belief right? and they stem and, and that belief creates intense fear. So we're back to that. Remember I was talking before about how we've got these deep insecurities and then we're overcompensating. That's what perfectionism essentially is. If you're going to boil it down. Yeah. Right. It's the, there's a belief and the belief is that I'm not good enough. Right. I have to then over deliver. I have to do things perfectly. I don't want people to um, realize that I'm flawed. Right. And so I have to do it perfectly. And what happens is we get into this black and white thinking and that leads us to either spend too much time on one thing and let all these other things accumulate or we're just unable to do anything because we get in we get into that state of like if it's not perfect it's garbage right right but, and then I mean, we, and we're, that's we're just, just like such a flawed way of looking at things and it feeds right back into the initial point you know like if you're trying for perfection all the time and you're jiving yourself up against something that may very well be unattainable you'll always be dissatisfied and then you'll always be freaking out that you're going to lose the thing that you're very secure in yeah and i think to your point the the thing to keep in mind is that people who have these insecurities and are dealing with them in that way are missing the point and that is that having perfect work is not the thing that's going to change how you feel internally if you're feeling scared you're not gonna feel 
less scared when that work is produced because then you're on to the next thing. And so you're in that constant grind of like having to keep coming back to square one. Right. right? And let you know, that's let, heaven forbid someone says, well, this could have been a little bit better. And now what you've presented as perfection has got some negative critique. And then we're just, you know, downward spiral all over again. Yeah. So I think, I think really what it boils down to is you have to deal with the root. If you're not going to deal with that root belief, if you're not going to deal with that fear and you're just going to focus on what you're doing, right? it's like putting a bandaid on the thing. It's right. not helpful. It's, you know, and it's, and it really saddens me because so many people struggle with this. You know, I had a client who was describing how she was so afraid of, I mean, she, it was kind of like a combination of sometimes these things go together of um, perfectionism plus like imposter syndrome, right? So the Oof, more it's a dirty you have that imposter syndrome, the more you're trying to do everything perfectly. So they right. don't find out that you're not really the thing, right? So she had that and she would spend so much time every day on crafting emails because she would have to read each email like 40 times over and make sure there was no mistakes and it, it didn't sound this way or that way. And she didn't want to press send until she knew for sure. And so let me read it one more time. Right. It gets almost like to be that like obsessive compulsive thing of like, I got to check it and check it and check it and check it. And it's just like, how much time would you save if you didn't have to deal with this? A hundred percent. Oh, and she told me, she was like, I would save at least an hour a day. <laughs> at least, at least an hour a day, if I didn't have to check my emails like a hundred times, right? And to me, that's just like, the key is not to check it another time. The key is to work on your mindset so that you don't have to be in that fear state that requires you to check it so many times. Right. Yeah. Because the reality is whatever message they were trying to present in that email, it probably didn't matter how many times they churched it up or reworded it. It was the same message. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate um, that so many people are struggling with this um, and not so much that they're struggling with it per se, but that they're struggling with it. And instead of working to help themselves out of it, they stay stuck in it because they're doing the wrong. They're focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on that bandaid approach over and over and over and over again. And it's just exhausting. And, so and that's when, one of the things that I think really leads people to burn out because they're just like spending all this time on the, the stuff that's just not really moving them forward. And so when you're working with folks and because this seems to be, you know, we can, we can self-identify a lot of this stuff that we do ourselves. So it's obviously a systemic issue. What, when you start working with someone, what are the things that you try and key in on to get them to tweak a bit first to start getting their mindset where it needs to be. One of the first things that I like to do and that, and I talk about this both in my book and I, I really focus in on it in the beginning of my program is emotional intelligence. And more specifically, I break that down into self-awareness and self-management. And so what we're doing is we're really learning what is it that your brain is producing, but why are you doing the things that you're doing and how can you change your feelings, right? Those right. three components, your thoughts, your behaviors, and your feelings are all intertwined. And 
even when you feel like you don't have control over something or sometimes you think you do have control over something when you don't or you right or you're stuck in that fear state or um whatever it is or you're just doing something over and over again and not getting the results that you want any of those three components we're looking at how to optimize your whole process so how to optimize your thinking so that you can change the way you feel so we so we started talking today about anxiety, right? If you're feeling anxious, it's because you're having those thoughts. You're catastrophizing. So you could change the thought by asking different kinds of questions, which we talked about. You could change the thought by changing the behavior, which is perhaps like we did today. We did this behavioral experiment where you saw yourself through the rest of the movie, right? So there's different ways that we can work either cognitively or behaviorally to really shift the way that we feel. And once you understand how all this comes together and what your, your place in all of that is, it's just incredibly empowering that you know that, oh, if I'm burning out, it's not because of my job and it's not because of my boss. It's because of my mind. Right. And therefore, if I can take, and, and really that's such good news because when we think it's all these other things, we get into that victim mentality and we feel really sorry for ourselves and there's nothing you can really do about it. And so you feel like you have to leave your job and you got to go somewhere else and maybe then it'll be better. But like I tell my clients, you take yourself wherever you go. Exactly. hundred percent. Yep. Right. So you really have to learn to deal with your own stuff. And it's going to show up, not in, not just at your work. It's going to show up in your relationships. It's going to show up when you're sitting by yourself. And I've got clients, I have to tell you, they have so much anxiety that they, I literally had a guy tell me that he, what, he, he was driving this, this uh, work, work-related vehicle and that vehicle, the stereo system was broken. Okay, that's not good. And he really would become anxious about having to drive it because he's like, then that means I have to sit in silence with my own mind. Whoa. Right? There was no distraction. (laughs) Couldn't listen to music. You just have to sit with himself. And that was just like too much. I mean, I can't like, that's, that's big to hear. Like, uh oh, you're not good being with yourself. We got some work to do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There, that's, I think I have to tell you whether it's anxiety or something else, uh, you know, sadly, that's what it seems to come down to for a lot of people that I work with. Um, like I was just having a session with a client of mine and, um, really what it boiled down to was her relationship with herself. So she was saying how, you know, one of the things I'm talking to people about, is like, you have to commit to yourself. You want to create these habits. You have to make a commitment to yourself and, Um, one of the reasons, you know, we can't lose weight or we can't do the things that we want to do, make money in my business or whatever it is, is because we're not showing up for ourselves. We're not making those commitments. And so she was saying, I said, you know, if you had a friend and you told, and, and you were going to meet that friend for lunch and you knew the restaurant and you knew the time and all that stuff, would you just like not show up? Right. And she said, she said, no, no, I totally show up. So she was basically saying it's easier for me to show up for other people, right? 
which we do what's, all what's the time about that though. And this is something that I tell folks all the time, because I think as human beings, we're kind of hardwired as well to, to be, even though sometimes the world doesn't seem like it, we're givers, right? We are, we are a charitable species with our time and our talents and stuff like that. And I think what people don't realize is they think if I, if I show up for me first, then that's selfish. But the reality of the situation is if you show up for you first, when you get there to be that giver, you're a better version of you. You're it's, it's really one of the most selfless things you can do to exercise a little self-care. Well, yeah. So selfishness is one of the reasons. I think the other reason is people just say, I don't have the time or I don't have the energy. Cut that and, out. <laughs> and I, and I always tell people you're doing it wrong. Right. Right. Like you start with you and everything else you build around that. And if 100%. you don't have that, if you don't have that, then you won't, you will run out of resources. Like, the thing, you know, it, it also gives you that fallback. Like for me, it's, it's exercise. If I don't lift that day, whenever the negative hits me, it's going to hit me a little harder. But if yeah. I get up and I lift and I exercise, then really no matter what happens the rest of the day, I've got that good thing that started me off. Like, well, at least I got that knocked out. The day's not shot, you know? Right. But you have to organize yourself in such a way where you say, I'm going to lift every day from nine to 10 or whatever it is. And then I'll schedule all my other stuff in. And what right. people do is they're like, I wake up, I go to work, I come home, I'm tired, I have my family, and there's nothing left. Right. It's like, well, you haven't figured out how to make this work. You've got to dedicate yourself at a certain time, at a certain place to do a certain thing. If you're not doing that, it's never going to happen. Right? right. So getting back to the example, my client was saying, it's easier for me to do this for other people. Right. And that's why so many people will sign up for coaching because they need that accountability. They need somebody to hold them accountable to the things that they want to do that they can't hold themselves accountable to do. Right. And that's fine. But ultimately what I was telling her is this is an indication of your relationship with yourself. If you're not able to do this for yourself, but you're able to do it for other people, then we get some work to do. Right. hundred percent. You know, and, and, and that I think is, it's interesting because, you know, in, in our line of work, like that's 99% of the people I talk to, they're, they're missing that point of schedule you first and everything else needs to fit around that. Whereas typically, like you're saying, they get to the end of their day, there was no time for me. Well, that's because you didn't make that the intentional priority. Yeah, exactly. That's the word. You got to prioritize yourself then it's a no brainer. Then it's not like, Oh, where, where's this going to fit in? No, though the rest of it fits in around your self care. Right. And the, the other thing too, is maybe it doesn't feel like it because you got a, a good mark on it or your boss said good job. But the reality is like everything else will suffer a little because if you're trying to save you for last to make time for you at the end of the day, whether it's exercise, meditate, whatever it is, then you're, subconsciously rushing the task to try and make it fit at the end of the day. And then you end the day with disappointment. Cause again, there was no time for you. Yeah. And it also depends on what you consider self-care. So I'll give you another example. A client of mine would come home and he really wanted to take time to decompress. He considers himself to be an extreme introvert. And okay. so being around other people is very draining for him. And we talked about that. So what does he do? He plops down on the couch and he watches Netflix, right? Mm. Which a lot of people do. And that's totally normal and it's fun and it's great. 
But I asked him, ultimately, if you are drained, is this the thing that's going to re-energize you? Right. So in other words, when we pick our activities, we have to think about what is the purpose of me doing this? Is this for entertainment or is this for energy? And if it's for energy, then that's the wrong thing. Because do you feel more energized when you get up off that couch? The answer is no, right. then you need to find something else. And then you can also have entertainment, but you have to be really strategic about what you're doing while you're doing it, right? And so self-care can be a number of things. It can be like just total passive entertainment. Like I just need to not do anything and just kind of let stuff show up and I need to laugh or I need to, whatever it is, right? I just want to like enjoy it. But I also need something for my body and that how, doesn't do it. How often do you find that people don't, there's a disconnect between the amp up and ramp down kind of tasks and understanding like, you know, the brain chemistry that goes into what, you know, everything from what makes you feel alert to, you know, ATP synthesis, all that stuff, like that, that disconnect between, oh, I think if I sit down and relax, I'm going to feel energized, which is com the complete wrong brain chemistry to start pumping into your body to get up and do anything. I think, to be honest, I don't think people spend that much time really thinking about it. I think what they do is they reach for that quick fix. So when they're feeling really tired at work, they reach for coffee right. or they or they reach for sugar. They're not thinking like, oh, should I go exercise right now? Right. Or should I, you it, know, it's it like. It seems counterintuitive to, to expel energy to gain energy, but that's exactly what it does. Well, that's right. So, but it also, it's not just about the fact that it's counterintuitive, it also takes more effort. And right. when we're tired, we are like effort allergic. If you will. <laughs> it's great verbiage. <laughs> you know, um, I had a client who was so effort allergic that she really was complaining to me about, you know, being in quarantine and um, wanting to be outside and all this stuff. And, and, she wasn't getting a lot of sunlight in her apartment or whatever. And I said, so go, go exercise outside, like well, go outside. walk, go run, do whatever. And so she's like, well, you know, it's going to take like 20 minutes to get my shoes on and everything. <laughs> and it's like, Hey, it probably doesn't take 20 minutes to put your shoes on. Right. And sometimes, yeah, it might feel like it's 20 minutes and it might feel like it's so hard to put our shoes on. Right. But you know what happens is we go outside and by the time we get back home, we feel so much better. Right. Right. And this is um, coming back to the anxiety piece. One of the things I teach my clients is there's this thing we call anticipatory anxiety, which is where our brain assumes that things are going to be so much harder than they will be so much more scary than they are. And so it talks us out of doing the thing before we even have a chance to try it. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so one of the things I do, um, I have my clients do an exercise where they actually test out their theories. So I have them approach it more like a scientist and say, how much fun do I imagine this is going to be and give it a ranking from zero to 10. Right. And then go do the thing anyway. And then write your ranking when you come back. How fun was it actually? 
right? right? And if you do that, every time you have this anxiety about doing something, over time, you might notice that there's a pattern. And that is that our brain tends to catastrophize a lot. And it looks at everything as like, oh my God, so horrible, so dangerous, so scary, so awful. And then it's actually not that bad. Right. It's, it's a right? bizarre and thing, you know, and it happens to everyone in almost everything. I think it's like, we've been talking about that old thought process of, you know, life, limb, eyesight kind of protection mode that you get into and you let it bleed into now it's life, limb, eyesight downtime, you know, but the reality is like some of the most terrifying things I ever had to make myself do reflected. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. You know? Yeah. So listen, I, I hope that this has been helpful. Uh, I know we've covered everything from anxiety to mindset to resilience <laughs> to burnout. Um, but it's, I think they're all really important. They all tie in together. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I do hope that it, it's brought some value to the listeners. Oh, I can't, if it hasn't, they weren't listening. I wanted to talk <laughs> though, before we wrap, um, you've got something that you've been working on. That yeah. It's really exciting. What is it? Yeah. Um, thanks for, thanks for setting that up. But um, I've, I, a lot of the things that we talked about actually tie in so nicely to this. I have a brand new webinar on my website, which is called three mindset hacks, high achievers need to avoid burnout. And I do cover in there. Well, some of the things that we talked about today, um, specifically imposter syndrome, negative mindset, perfectionism, and really what you need in order to avoid this burnout, because so much of what you're experiencing, if you, if you do have burnout, you may think it's attributed to all of these things outside but I really want you to walk away with this idea that you have so much more control than you realize. And by changing your mindset, it can make a world of difference in your life. And I want to show you how. So, so where can people find it? Yeah, that's going to be on my website at drsharongrossman.com. So you'll just click on free webinar and you are in. And then the book is there too, correct? The book is not there. Um, the well, there's book, a separate link for the book. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there is like a, a little, a little icon of the book, but yeah, the book has its own site. Uh, my book is called the seven E solution to burnout. It's uh, subtitle is transforming high achievers from exhausted to extraordinary. Awesome. And title. that has, that's, that's available on Amazon. It also has its own little page which is at 7esolution.com. So go ahead and check that out. There's also um, all kinds of bonus things that you get with the book, including a seven-day challenge, including a variety of uh, meditations and templates and all kinds of things. So it's a very worthwhile investment um, that really has a ton of things where you can also coach yourself through burnout because it comes with a, a workbook. So Highly recommend that for people who are struggling and trying to figure out how to really transform their lives. And something I want to toss out there uh, just for people in, in our little weird world of coaches is that you actually have options on there for coaches to buy it in bulk if they want to use it. Is that correct? Not necessarily for coaches, well, but not to use it as anybody. part of their thing, but like they, there's the possibility of bulk order if they were going to yeah, I, so it's really for anybody who wants to gift it to other people. And the reason I made this incentive program is that burnout is sometimes something that 
we see in other people before they see it in themselves. And so I wanted to incentivize people to gift the book to others in order to help them. And as a thank you to you, the buyer, um, I will then give you free coaching videos every month on a variety of topics, all of which are listed on 70solution.com. So go ahead and check it out and see if that seems like a nice exchange there. And that way everybody wins. I, yeah. I mean, and that's why I want to toss out there just because that's such a huge thing. You know, it's, it's what I call the, the Alice syndrome, where if you remember the movie Alice in Wonderland, when she's sitting uh-huh. in the forest and she starts crying and says she gives very good advice, but very seldom follows it. So even if you're not going to read the book, buy it for someone else. Cause you can identify their problem set. Yeah. Well, and then you could still, you could still reap some rewards for yourself. Exactly. This has been awesome. Uh, any last last final thoughts for the listeners before we wrap up? I just want to say they're very lucky to have you. <laughs> well, I was lucky to have you on the show. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And anybody who's got any questions, check out my website. And there's a place you can also uh, book in a call if you want to talk one-on-one. And you should. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. All right, folks, there you have it. Was I lying? How awesome is that lady, right? Um, that I mean, it was a great conversation. I had a blast having her on. And uh, also, I want to put this out there. If anyone wants to start manufacturing uh, some Travis Crutcher kicks or some Sharon Grossman kicks, you know, get in touch. We're, we're all about it. Um, but also, don't forget to check out drsharongrossman.com. Check out that webinar, guys. You will not be disappointed. She is just a rock star. Um, and also, don't forget to check out her book. It's available from her website. It's available on Amazon. Uh, the book, again, if you forgot, is The 70 Solution to Burnout, Transforming High Achievers from Exhausted to Extraordinary. It is legit. I, I will vouch for it 110%. So please check that out. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show, and I will talk to you next time.